Welcome to Gleaming the Tube, the podcast where Kevin and Mike watch a film in which somebody rides a skateboard at some point. Finally, a podcast where people talk about movies. Hello, Michael. Hello, Kevin. 2003's Bad Santa, directed by Terry Zweigoff, tells the story of Willie T. Soak, played by Billy Bob Thornton, a man who is... As the film's title suggests, Michael, a bad Santa. He's certainly not a, a good one. <laughs> no, no one would argue that, I think. <laughs> I think it's, I think that's, uh, it is a well-titled film. Willie and those around him all seem to agree that he is, he is a bad Santa. His friend, played by Tony Cox, or I don't know if they're friends, but they're, they're partners, yes. Yeah, they're partners. His partner, Tony Cox, acts as a department store elf, kind of ropes Willie into a scheme they have where they become a mall Santa and elf at a different department store around the country every year, and then they rob the department store. It's a pretty solid scam. During the events of this film, uh, there are some complications that arise. I don't know if Willie discovers the true meaning of Christmas, but he, he gets closer to that than he had been before. There is, there is, there, there is some learning and some sharing, but mostly a lot of drinking and swearing. Some of the, possibly some of the best swearing that's ever been <laughs> filmed in a movie. So the, 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 the dialogue is confusing and hilarious and filthy and fantastic. It's funny, but, you know, we, we talk often about how, uh, the, the more I think the, one of the running themes that we've sort of uncovered in the uh, in the in doing this podcast is that the the more adjacent the film is to actual skateboarding, the worse the movie is. Yeah. So it was an absolute pleasure this time around to watch a legitimately fucking fantastic movie that there there is an element of skateboarding to it. But it's it's just a good movie considering the last couple that we watched were. A lot of skateboarding, not a lot of quality. <laughs> not a lot of enjoyment to be had. And in this movie, very little skateboarding, but man, is there there's too much to enjoy in this film. It's it's a masterpiece. One thing I found interesting, I had seen this movie when it came out in 2003, and I have not seen it since we watched it for this podcast. Um, and I didn't like sort of dive, I enjoyed it, but I didn't like look into its backstory or anything. I was very surprised to find out that the concept for the movie had come up with by uh, Joel and Ethan Cohen. Really? They like, they're listed as executive producers. And I guess they came up with kind of the overarching concept of a bad Santa. And they hired a screenwriting team to bring it to life. And I guess they worked with the screenwriting team and added like more filthy dialogue and more filthy jokes. And uh, the script was sent to universal pictures who rejected it on the grounds that it was the most foul, disgusting, misogynistic, anti-Christmas, anti-children thing that Universal could imagine, uh, which apparently attracted Miramax to. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I did not know that. I guess the Coens had kind of envisioned uh, James Gandolfini starring 
Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I, it's funny because I knew that they were sort of adjacent to the film, but I didn't realize that they had come up with the original concept. That's really interesting. Yeah, and um, it's uh, it was interesting to read about Gandolfini too, who certainly like has has a, had a more Santa esque physique, if you will. Um, sure, Billy Bar- Billy Bob Thornton is like is like kind of really wiry in this movie, but I think that sort of adds to the fact that he's a bad Santa. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. He's he's he doesn't really fill out the costume very well. He's gaunt in a in a in a in the way that only a career alcoholic can be. Yeah, I, it's funny. I cannot imagine this this movie. I mean, it's 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 interesting to think about how James, what James Gandolfini could have taken, you know, brought to the role. But it's so it's it the movie in my mind. Billy Bob Thornton is couldn't you couldn't replace him in this film with anybody he's the what the 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 the, what he brings to the role is just this vicious like (laughs) it's 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 such an absolute pleasure to watch every every actor in this movie just just devour the scenery with 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 just terribleness it's fantastic oh, man there there are a couple scenes that have the late john ritter and the late bernie mac interacting with each other and it is such a delight watching those two i i you know i love john ritter and this is like he kind of like brings a different energy to this than his than what you mostly know john ritter from because he's Ritter's a likable cat and in this he sort oh, yeah. of plays the sort of uptight prissy supercilious store manager guy um, and Bernie Max just like matching him note for note in their scenes together. I loved it. Those interactions. One of the things that I, I kind of, as a, you know, a person who watches a lot of television and movies, I think one of the things that, that I, that I sort of am constantly drawn to is, you know, how much of a character in a movie or a TV show or whatever is on the page and how much does the actor themselves bring to the role? And I and I, and I I think about that in terms of like kind of marveling over where does this stuff come from in an actor's brain? Like when you look at you know you're John Ritter, you're kind of known for a certain amount of likableness as you know as an as an actor and you look at this script and you decide you're going to do the movie and then how how do you arrive at where john ritter arrived at with that like it's 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 like every syllable is like painful for him to say what the when they're talking about the the language and he said he has to conjure the courage to just say the term fuckstick <laughs> and he just can't it's like it's physically painful for him to say it and then and then like you said bernie mac matching that energy with taking in a, a, an enormous amount of delight and repeating the phrase and every time he says it it's like he's stabbing john, john ritter's character with like a toothpick in the eyelid it's it's, it's just it's that you know it's 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 to me the, the 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 best memory that I have of experiencing this film for the first time, uh, it's one of my favorite things to experience in being and watching a film is when you when you sit down to watch a movie, 
not with the preconceived notion that the movie's going to be bad, but you just sit down and watch a movie and you think, oh, I'll give this a chance. And then like 15 or 20 minutes into the movie, you, you, you come to this realization that you're watching an absolutely brilliant masterpiece unfold. Uh, it has happened to me a few times in my life. And, and this is an occasion where it's the same thing. I sat down and watched the movie at about 20 minutes in, I decided to start the movie again. <laughs> the first time I watched it, because I was like, wait, wait a minute. Like this is the quality of what's going on on the film is I, I, I don't feel like I've been appreciating it appropriately enough. And I started the film again. Cause I, that was, this was one of those movies that I think Liam gave it a very enthusiastic thumbs up. And I was like, ah, I wonder what the, what, you know, what, what the deal is with this movie. And then I sat down and watched it and it's just, there's a, there's a certain, there's a certain alchemy that happens on, on screen sometimes where certain character actors work together that just, and it Ritter and, and Bernie Mac together, those scenes, I, they could be 40, the, the whole movie could have just been them having a conversation together about fuck stick. And I, <laughs> and I still think it would be a brilliant film. <laughs> my dinner with fuck stick. <laughs> my dinner with fuck stick. I think my favorite line, and it's funny, I just went off on Bernie Mac and, and John Ritter, but I think the, the, the most perfectly delivered line in the entire movie for, for some reason to me is when the little kid asks Billy Bob Thornton's character, he keeps asking him like where he lives and what, who, you know, what, what, you know, what, where do you come from? And he, he looks at him and says, Apache Junction, what the fuck do you care? <laughs> that just destroys me every time he says it. The idea, the idea that the vitriol in which he delivers the words Apache Junction just destroys me. it's weird i think i actually think my favorite line in this movie is after like the 14th time the little kid asks billy bob thornton if he wants a sandwich he just says what the fuck is it with you in sandwiches (laughs) i loved that or what is it what is it with you in fucking sandwiches what is it with you in fucking sandwiches (laughs) at the start of the movie the movie like leans really heavily into the like willie's a drunken loser trope in a montage that reminded me a bit of like the character at the beginning of skateboard from 1978 only because Billy Bob Thornton is you know, a much better actor than right. the character. And I think like the movie is overall more well-made it like it worked so much better. I mean, the, what the, the scene where he was eating a Turkey leg on the toilet in a fancy mansion he broke into that was Pure cinema storytelling yeah. <laughs> at its <laughs> finest. I, I like the the sequence in the is it in the, in the beginning of the film? It's the, the sequence where he's like, it, "Oh no, yeah." It, there's this there's a sequence where he's like, he's achieved his dream of owning a bar and a beach somewhere, and then you've quickly realized that he he just is behind the bar uh, that, uh, of a bar that he does not even work at. And they get the bartender kicks the shit out of him and, and kicks him out and kicks him out of the bars. So, so fantastic. It's Cause in a lot of ways, this is a one joke movie in that right. he's supposed to be sent uh, Santa Claus, but he's a foul mouthed drunken loser who pisses himself and is terrible at his job. But they like, they find so many like riffs on that joke and they play the note so well that you don't mind. Well, right. I mean, it's, 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 I, I feel like everyone in the film 
you know, right right now, the, 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 there's a term where the people say they understood the assignment. And I think that's this is one of those occasions where you get the feeling that everyone in the film understood exactly what they were going for and does their part perfectly. Uh, you know, the guy, the guy who plays his partner, what's his name again? Tony, Tony Cox. Cox. Tony Cox. I mean, the, the, the dynamic between Tony Cox and his terrible wife is just, you know what I mean? Like the, just the fact that they, that they prove over the course of the film to be, they, I mean, if there's a villain in the movie, it's, it's possibly Tony Cox's, the woman who plays Tony Cox's wife, where it's just this relentless pursuit of things and being just being the shittiest person on the planet. It's just, it's just magnificent. And then, and then of course the, the, you know, the kid who plays the little kid, where do you find that kid? Like, how do you, again, that, so this maybe is the, the, for me, the theme of the movie is what, you know, I oftentimes find myself watching films or television and I, I marvel at how did you arrive at this particular energy? And it's funny because I, I, I think there's a certain, a certain energy to a Coen Brothers film, which is sort of almost like the, the, the baseline of what I'm talking about. So to find out how involved the Coen Brothers were in this film is actually a surprise to me because it's, it's filled with these micro performances that are like, they, they, you know, like they, they almost barely register, but, you know, it, to me, that if there is movie making magic, that's where it is, where you think to yourself, like, in a million years, I would have never thought to play this character this way. And yet this is how they're doing it. And it's, it's utterly perfect for the scene. And I should note that, um, according to what I read, a lot of the casting was Terry Zweigoff. And he actually, I think, battled a bit with, uh, both uh, Dimension Films and with the Coens about like casting Tony Cox and casting the little kid. But it's, it worked out well for the movie. Um, and Zweigoff's oh an interesting director. He like, cause his first couple of movies were documentaries, including uh, Crumb from the mid nineties about, oh, okay. about Robert Crumb, right. which is like one of those movies that like hit me at the right time when I was younger and completely blew my mind about what documentaries can do. And then this was only his second kind of narrative movie. Um, before this, he had done Ghost World. Okay, all right. Wow, all right. Yeah. So it's it. I don't. I didn't know any of this. And that. And as you say this stuff out loud, it makes a lot of sense to me. Oh, that's in. Um, you've seen Ghost World, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, in Ghost World, I think is is a fairly successful adaptation of a Daniel Klaus comic. And then he did Bad Santa, and then after Bad Santa, he did Art School Confidential, which is like not a good. Is also an adaptation of a Daniel Klaus comic but is as bad as ghost world is good. Like art school <laughs> okay. confidential is like completely fucking dire. It could be because the original Daniel Klaus art school confidential comic is a hilarious three page comic. <laughs> and not <laughs> That's just a bunch of jokes about art school. Like the comic is fantastic, but then they're like, Oh, let's turn this three page comic into like a movie script. And it just, did not work. Whereas Ghost World has like characters and things that happen. It's, sure, Ghost sure. World's very episodic. It, they kind of hammered it into more of like a story arc, but that worked as as a movie. Like, oh man, Art School Confidential is bad. Is so bad and so bad. I don't think he made. He I don't think he has made another movie since then. 
he's directed some f- stuff for TV. Um, and there was a Bad Santa sequel, I think in 2018, 2019, um, which I've, I have not seen, and he was not involved in that either. I I watched it, and I and, and and all right. So I watched the Bad Santa sequel, and it much like I said that I restarted the original Bad Santa about 20 minutes in because I felt like I had been sort of missed the the brilliance of it. I uh, Bad Santa or Badder Santa or whatever it's called. Uh, failed to make any impression on me and just played in the background while I looked at my phone because it just didn't. I fast forwarded <laughs> to the end. You can't, it, it's it, it's one of those, I think the saddest thing and the most dangerous thing about a sequel is trying to, de- you know, desperately to like sort of like rematch the energy of a, of the, of a, of a movie that kind of came out of nowhere and you you, it's like trying to create lightning in a bottle twice and it it just doesn't ever work and this was this was not a movie that should have had a sequel i feel like yeah, it's it's totally unnecessary I, I mean the 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 willie character goes from being a complete degenerate to becoming a slightly better person like he writes a letter to the kid um you know he has some kind of relationship with lauren graham's character and we should mention lauren graham because oh my goodness uh she's so great in this movie too well it, it's it, I, she's a perfect example of somebody who you know at the by the, that point i think lauren graham was pretty well she had already been on she'd been gilmore on girls, Gil, right? she'd been on gilmore yeah. girls for several years and yeah. before gilmore girls she was i'm not going to say famous but she was i think well known in the industry for someone who was cast in a lot of pilots that never got picked up picked up the series Right. And so to watch her enjoy, I think, you know, in that this film, we're watching her enjoy not being Lorelai Gilmore. Like she's like, all right, I'm going to swear and fuck my brains out. And, <laughs> and, and, and just, yeah, she's, she's uh, her at her most, she's at her Lauren Gramist. Yeah, she's, she's a long way from stars hollow, Michael. It's certainly true. Yeah. Where she leads, I will follow, Kevin. <laughs> but this is, I think, uh, an enjoyable holiday film. It's, uh, as we mentioned before, not a lot of skateboarding in it. There's like a gang of skateboarding hooligans right. by a kid who I at first thought was Draco Malfoy from Harry Potter, but who, right. who was not. Who is not? Yeah. Well, and so in the in the in the realm of of uh, skateboarding on film, the the interesting takeaway for me was, and we discussed this a little bit uh, when we when we discussed Grind, was that this film takes place right in the in the era in which I was not following skateboarding very much, and I remember watching this movie and being very surprised to see that the skateboarders that the skateboarders were were cast as the as bad guy bullies and i remember thinking well this is how far away from you know how far along skateboarding has come in sort of the public consciousness where instead of the skater kids the ones being bullied by the jocks or you know or or the normal people or whatever the skaters are now a group of bullies who are bullying this unfortunate 
nerdy soul. And I remember thinking that was such a shift in the paradigm that they, that they, that suddenly they could be thought of as the bad guys, which is not something that, you know, happened in movies that featured any kind of skateboarding up until then. Yeah. Especially this movie, this movie, I think celebrates the outsider. And I think that's a theme you can find through most of Terry's Wygoff's work is like a celebration of the outsider, not to the point where he doesn't zone in on the flaws of these people, right? but it's clearly on the side of outsiders. And the fact that the movie doesn't paint the skateboarders as outsiders is very telling. Well, it's telling that at that point, skateboarding had sort of, you know, breached the, the chrysalis and became this sort of mainstream in 2003. That was, that certainly was the case. You know, there was a lot of, we talked about it in grind. There was a lot of corporate money being thrown into it and, and suddenly it was a sort of a mainstream activity. I wanted to ask you this. Uh, if you had any good stories about run-ins uh, with department store security in, in honor of Bernie Mac's head of security character from Bad Santa. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it's interesting. That's a running, there's a running theme in skate videos of sort of showing the the run-ins with with security and and kind of you know sort of battling the security for the for the right to do the thing down the stairs or whatever and i i as a kid i don't think that the that i or the kids that i hung out with as skateboarders had the the wherewithal to like battle security. If we were at a place for, for our purposes, let's say that we were at the Lincoln mall, because that's certainly where we were. If we were at the Lincoln mall and a security guard told us to leave, we would just leave. (laughs) Like it was, there was no, at least, and I, and so, and you would encounter other groups of skateboarders who were ready to sort of do battle with the, with, with the security guards and fight them. And, and, you know, and maybe those are like more like the, 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 the Providence kids who, you know, but for us, it was, we were not battling for the, you know, like over land rights for the, for the, for the, for the area behind Caldor, you know, we, if somebody, if somebody kicked us out, we would normally just leave. It wasn't like Jay and Silent Bob versus Lafleur's. No, certainly not. I will say that we, there was, I, I was part of a large group of kids who were uh, scooped up and brought and put in holding cells in Woodsocket, Rhode Island uh, by, uh, by the, the police in Woodsocket. And I, I remember thinking that it was sort of a, it felt like a sort of a pose and a, a ridiculous overcorrection uh, to, you know, they just did this. It was just one day we were all skateboarding in, in a, in like a sort of a, a, a shopping area in, in downtown Woodsocket. And we're just like, I, I mean, three cop cars pulled up and collected about 15 teenage kids and brought them to the police station. Um, at no point did we think that we were actually arrested. I think all, you know, our parents were called and our, and, and our parents rightfully all showed up uh, more annoyed with the police than they were with us. But uh, on a day-to-day basis, I could, I, I, there was not a lot of battling with uh, security guards. It was more of a 
it was it was more of a polite okay guys you can be here for another 10 minutes and then you have to leave and then we would leave so i wish i had a better story about that but i, I mean i was arrested that was pretty cool yeah. <laughs> i have i have no good stories about department store santas either yeah i well i i remember being a teenager and doing the thing where we all ironically decided we were going to get a photo with santa like me and three of my skateboarder friends and and we like waited in line and then got to santa and he was a, such a sweet guy and totally kind of got what we were doing and i it, and it resulted in kind of a sweet photograph of me and my three skateboarder friends sitting on Santa's lap and like, you know, mugging it up in a very cheesy way. But it, that it's, that's a perfect example of like thinking that you're above something and then realizing that you're actually, you know, like you're right in there and we're, and we were all actually delighted to see Santa Claus and, <laughs> and we got our photos taken with him. Thank goodness you encountered a good Santa. A good Santa, yes, yeah. I, ah, oh man, I. It's, it's so. It's it's funny. Like, bad Santa in the last maybe in the last five years has has actually become one of my like the traditional movies I sit down and watch for Christmas every year because every time I watch it, I just marvel at the commitment <laughs> to the to the to the narrative that, the, that those actors show it's just goddamn brilliant <laughs> oh man oh speaking of holiday traditions um i i should mention that last week i was a guest of dragon con's american science fiction classics track for the online panel rankin versus bass when christmas cartoon characters collide where we did like a march madness style bracket of various characters from rankin bass holiday specials and uh, you can find that on YouTube at the American Sci-Fi Classics YouTube channel. Uh, if you search for Rankin versus Bass, uh, American Sci-Fi Classics, it should come up. I won't reveal who ultimately took the crown, but it was a, it was a hard-fought battle between various animatronic puppets. Who were you gunning for? Well, it depended on the contest. Uh, you know, it was me. It was Joe and Gary from from the Classics track. Uh, Kevin Eldridge, who guested on our Wonder Woman episode, was also there. And, um, you know, it was because it would be like, here's this character versus this character. Like, you know, here's uh, Santa Claus versus the Snow Miser. But, you know, the contest is who would be better at wassailing or performing (laughs) a duet with David Bowie or, you know, stealing Christmas a la the Grinch. So, you know, we had to we had to go by each individual character and what you know, what that individual contest was. So it could be, you know, it, it was, you might like a character more, but you'd be like, well, that character would clearly be better at wassailing. Right. Uh, who who uh, came out on top on the uh, elf dentistry bracket? <laughs> there, was a... <laughs> uh, there was, I don't think there was an elf dentistry contest, but Hermie was involved in, in, in the action. I bring that up because I think that's kind of the only character I can really remember. <laughs> and I've always been delighted. I've always been delighted by Hermie the elf who just wants to be a dentist. See, it seems to me like people always remember uh heat miser and snow miser from the year without a Santa Claus. Sure. Cause they, cause they have a, such a great song. They do. They do. Absolutely. Hot dog, Kevin. Too much. Well, uh, I think this is our last show for the year. I wanted to, uh, wish everyone 
happy holidays or what have you, uh, be sure and check out the other show Michael and I do called Let's Get Chatty about David and Maddie, which is about the 80s detective show Moonlighting, which we do with our friend Liam, who Michael mentioned earlier. You can find that at moonlightingpodcast.com. Excellent. Happy holidays, everybody. And happy new year. Thank you for listening. Our website is gleamingthetube.net. We're on Facebook at Gleaming the Tube, and our email is gleamingpod at gmail.com. Production assistance by Liam Gray. Music by Kissing Contest. Skateboarding is not a crime. Mm-hmm.